I guess I would say that I would like to be a part of the movement that's helping more companies become ethical and conscious. So I strongly, strongly believe that if we're going to solve the poverty crisis in today's world, it's by helping entrepreneurs get their businesses off the ground and helping them get a sustained source of income and helping them provide for their families. My guest today is Shiza Shah. Shiza is the founder and CEO of UpEffect, a crowdfunding and support platform for companies dedicated to improving lives and the planet. Her company has become the go-to platform for entrepreneurs who are driven not by how much money they can make, but by how many lives they can impact. Some of UpEffect's backed products are things like ethical fashion brands, solar cook stoves, clean drinking water systems, and eco-friendly carry bags. To date, and friends, this is amazing, to date, UpEffect's approach led by Shiza has driven their 100% success rate at securing funding for their campaigns. 100%. This is very incredible considering Kickstarter's success rate is somewhere around 43% and Indiegogo's success rate hovers just under 10%. Shiza is an amazing woman and entrepreneur. She was recently named one of Computer Weekly's most influential women in tech, Asians in Tech's top 100 Asian stars in UK tech, Cause Artists, 37 social entrepreneurs to watch in 2017, and she's also an Asian Women of Achievement Award nominee. I've already said too much. This conversation is truly wonderful. I enjoyed it so much, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Without further ado, I'm Nick Lepar, your host, This is the Let's Give a Damn podcast, and here's my conversation with the incredible Shiza Shah. I'm so thrilled to have my new friend and amazing superhuman Shiza on the line. Uh, Shiza, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Nick. Of course. I'm so thrilled that you accepted my invitation, that we're here. We've, We've been trying to get this on the calendar for months now, literally. We tried to do it in person. You were here in the US and we tried to meet up in New York and we tried to make it work. It didn't work. And we are here months later doing it virtually, but it's this is this is great. So I'm so excited. Thank you for making this work. No, thank you so much, Nick. You live in the UK. Do you live right in London or where where in the UK do you live? So I live just on the outskirts of London. So I grew up um in Surrey. I don't know if you're familiar with Surrey. So it's just I'm Greater London, and I'm currently living in Kent, which is, again, just like about 40 minutes from um, central London. So that whole area has been your home for quite some time then. So you were born there, I guess. So I was born and raised in Surrey, yes. Um, I've been in Kent for about just over a year. Um, My husband's job's based here, but because I work from home, I think it works really well for us. I get a lot of peace and quiet out in the countryside, so it's, it's really nice here. And then if I need to go into London, it's it's a quick 40 to 50 minute um, train ride. So it's it's great. That's not bad. You get the best of both worlds. You get some countryside and then you get the big city pretty quickly. Absolutely. I think it's it's so important to have that your own space when you're running a remote business. And I feel like I'm able to achieve that living in Kent. So I love it. That's awesome. We'll, we'll get into that here in a minute. What, what I'd love to do since we're talking about where you live and all that, before we get into what you do and how that came to be, Give us some context for who you are in the kinds of people and places and things that made you who you are today. So go back as far as you want. Spend a few minutes just talking about 
your upbringing and the people, you know, just like I said a few seconds ago, anything that you want to share with us that'll give us some context for why you are the person you are today. What are the kinds of things that formed you and shaped you? I would love to hear that before we get into what you're doing today. Right. That's such a tough question. Who are you? Um, yes. <laughs> um, I guess, so my parents um, are originally from Pakistan. So they came quite quite a few years ago. So I think my mom came in when she was in ninth grade. And then my father came, I think, in his mid-20s. Um, and then, yeah, we I was born and raised in Surrey, like I said, and grew up seeing my father as a businessman and seeing him work so hard every single day um, to build his business off the ground. I saw so many challenges that he went through and it's super stressful running a company, but I, he was the biggest role model for me because I felt like he always... Um, he always made sure that his daughters were given the same opportunities as his son. So he would always push us to pursue our dreams, pursue our ambitions, and um, would give us everything that we needed in terms of education, in terms of contacts, in terms of knowledge and experience to make sure we were able to get to that stage. So he was a really core part of um, who I am today, um, as was my mom in terms of always supporting our dreams, always being there for us. So I think just seeing him build that business was something that always ignited that fire in me that I wanted to work in the tech space, seeing him build a software company. And then I always wanted to build a business around that, um, which is why I then went on to study computer science with business at university and then went on to do a master's in computer science and entrepreneurship. And it was just an amazing experience. And it was interesting because there were most of the girls dropped out of the course. So I think by the end of the course, there were just a handful of us, but it was something that I really believed was where I wanted to be 10 years from now. And I stuck through it. And there were many times where I really did not enjoy um, many elements of the course, but I felt like it was so important to um, work hard in those moments and, you know, get, get over that fear and, put in that effort because at, at, at times you might not enjoy the steps you need to take um, to get to the next level, but sometimes you just need to make it happen. And um, fortunately um, did really well um, in my master's and then went on to work as a project manager for tech companies. But within all of that, I think going back to your original question, who am I? I think the first thing I would say when I'm you know introducing myself um, or, you know, when you see me visibly, I wear a headscarf. I, I am Muslim. And I think Islam and my faith and everything that Islam has taught me um, forms the foundation of everything that I do today, everything that I've ever done in the past and everything that I plan to do moving forward. I believe that Islam really is a way of living and it's much greater than just holding a belief. And it forms the basis of everything that um, I dream about, everything I want to do on a day-to-day -day basis. And one of the core things I would say is Islam's focus on helping those less fortunate in society has always inspired me and has always kind of formed the foundation of everything that I've gone on to do. So after graduating university and, you know, during while I was at university as well, I was... Um, I organized a number of fundraisers. I worked for a number of nonprofits and I continued that whilst working full time as a tech um, project manager for, for a CRM company. And the idea was that I felt we had to give back to society. 
And the only way you could do that was by working through nonprofits, working with charities and working with those leaders in the space that were really positioning themselves as the change makers. But very soon I realized that that's not the case. Um, most nonprofits, majority of nonprofits by design are quite unsustainable. Um, they don't track the impact that they're having. There's not no transparency. And it's a very inefficient use of resources um, when you actually get inside the system and try and, and see what's actually happening. And I was putting money in, I was putting time in, and I was like, I can't see how I'm making a difference. I've given so many years and so much time to these organizations, but I can't see what what I'm doing out in the world. What is the output? And and it's not to say that I wanted to I wanted to get something back. I, I wanted to give something to these people. And if I couldn't see what I was giving, I didn't feel like I was really contributing to society. And that's really where I started exploring um, alternative options and trying to see what else there was out there in the world. And that's where I discovered all about social entrepreneurship and so I attended various events and um, found a number of social enterprises doing incredible work. So one um, company in particular that kind of, formed the foundation of everything I went on to do be after um, after university was Give Me Tap. I don't know if you're familiar familiar with their company. Um, they're based in New York now, but they're an amazing social enterprise. So they provide sustainable water bottles um, to regular people. And um, you can the idea is to go around to um, local cafes and ask for tap water. And for every bottle sold, they um, provide, I think, five years of clean drinking water to um, families in Africa. Wow. So, yeah, it's absolutely amazing. And they've helped tens of thousands of people to date in Africa um, in terms of providing a sustainable source of water. And then I started, you know, re realizing there's a lot more enterprises out there. Um, and social enterprise really does, it, it falls in line with what Islamic finance teaches. So the Islamic concept actually is that not to leave those less fortunate in society behind, which is why Islam forbids um, the concept of interest. It forbids the concept of um, holding on to wealth. So wealth should always be circulated within society, which is why we have a 2.5% tax on any accumulated assets, and it's called zakat. And every um, practicing Muslim pays this annual zakat on any wealth that. Um, so their savings, their gold, anything that's been accumulated for uh, over X period of time. Um, and the idea is that, you know, you should always be giving back to the community. That, and, and that's why in the true Islamic system, a true Islamic economic system, the concept of poverty does not exist. And uh, I think that's really what's inspired um, who I am today and, and the work that I'm doing right now. Wow. So there's so much in there. I, we could spend uh, an hour just unpacking some of the things you just shared, but let me let me try to take it uh, one step at a time here because there's so much great stuff in there. Okay. So one of the things that I want to ask about, um, again, you gave me so much in there. One of the things I want to talk about is you as a woman in tech, right? This is a big conversation that's happening right now, not just women in tech, but women in leadership in all areas. I mean, there's the Time's Up, the movement that's happening right now, and that got addressed at Golden Globes and so on and so forth. But women in tech is a huge, huge conversation for anyone that's paying attention to the tech conversation. And you're not new to the tech industry. You were named Computer Weekly's most influential women in tech, uh, Asians in tech's top 100 Asian stars in UK tech 2017. And we I could keep naming the things that you have been 
awarded and rewarded for being a woman in tech. What has been your experience, not just as a woman in tech, but this is not a new conversation, a Muslim woman in tech, like what's been your experience? Has there been any weird situations, any pushback? Like what's been the fallout of you being a woman in tech in kind of the tech system right now? I get asked this question a lot and I feel like I'm giving the wrong answer because I know a lot of people are facing a lot of challenges for being a woman in tech. But I personally have been very fortunate in terms of everyone that I've engaged with. I, I mean, being a Muslim is on you know one side and then being a female in tech. Um, just that alone, I've always been championed and supported by the people around me. So all the, all the men that I've ever engaged with and, and all the women as well, they've always been really supportive of our mission and the work that we've been doing. So personally speaking, I, I haven't actually experienced any challenges. I've been very fortunate, but that's not to say that those problems don't exist. And I do feel like it, it is important that, you know, given that I've I've had a positive experience, I feel like there is opportunity to actually go out there and deal with different communities and enforce a more positive limelight on these issues. Because I feel like there are positive stories, but because a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs are constantly being told, oh, it's, it's a horrible space to be in. There's so many issues. You need to deal with this and then you need to deal with that. But if they're told that, you know, Actually, there are a few um, few entrepreneurs that have actually experienced really great opportunities just by being a female in tech. They will get that encouragement. They will be more inspired to actually move forward with those ideas. So I think it's important to not constantly, you know, a lot of people tend to do this where they're constantly focused on the negativity and focus more on, you know, the positive stories that are coming out of the community in tech. No, that's a really great answer. And I don't hear you at all saying that the problem doesn't exist just because you haven't experienced it. You alluded to the fact that maybe some of the reason you haven't experienced some of that is because of the people you surrounded yourself with. Do you think that might be part of the issue? You've surrounded yourself with people that do and can and will encourage you and help you along your journey? It could be, yes. I mean, I think the social enterprise um, community itself is more progressive, more inclusive, and, you know, very supportive of everyone that's trying to do good in the world. So it could be that I've surrounded myself with the right people, but I've also taken the approach where if I feel someone or something or some community doesn't really align with my values, then I, I kind of pull myself away from it. And I don't think that your business will suffer because of that. There are many other doors that you can go through you know, even if one door is closed on you, there's hundreds of other opportunities for you to pursue. So I think it's important to surround yourself with very supportive people, people that believe in what you're doing. And if one person says no, or if one person, you know, tries to put you down, then that's okay. That's not a problem to do associated to you. That's a problem associated to them. So just move away and find other people. And there are people out there that will support what you're doing. That's great advice. Thanks for indulging me there. I didn't want to spend too much time there, but as the father of two daughters, I'm always interested to hear, you know, the experience of women in leadership, you know, in, a, in various kinds of leadership. And so I love, I love your answer there. I love the positive nature of it. And just the really like, I'm going to keep going regardless of what people say and do. Um, and I think you have definitely surrounded yourself with amazing people. And you're, you're right. I've spent more and more time. I've spent 20 years in the nonprofit space. And just in the last couple of years, I've shifted to focus more 
on spending time with uh, social entrepreneurs, social enterprise entrepreneurs. And it is a really beautiful place. It is a really beautiful community and lots of support, lots of encouragement. And so I'm glad, I'm definitely glad you're there. So, okay, let's talk about Up Effect. Let's talk about how I was introduced to you. How did that come about? How did Up Effect come about? Who are you as a team? What are you accomplishing? What are you doing? Because I would love to hear. And and also, before you even get there, tell me how it started. Like how how did you go from you know what you shared about your upbringing, your experiences to starting Up Effect? Yeah, I'm happy to share more. So, like I said, when I was working for nonprofits, I was seeing that the the way things were being done was quite inefficient, and I felt. Um, I felt something needed to change, that that couldn't be the answer to today's greatest challenges. And, you know, we're seeing, uh, you know, so many people, so many people, it's, in, you know, millions and billions of people that are suffering some kind of problem in their life. And I feel like they must be a sustainable means of addressing that problem. And once I discovered social enterprise, um, I started delving more into that space. I started working for a number of social enterprises and trying to learn more about best practices and how do you go about building a sustainable company that does good in the world. And around that time, I discovered crowdfunding and Kickstarter was doing exceptionally well. So I was asked by The Guardian to write a piece on Islamic finance and ethical capitalism. And, and, and that's where I started to discover more about alternative finance, which is what Islamic finance endorses. So Islamic finance says to go out there and find alternative financial models to the existing capitalist um, model that you know we're, we're using currently in today's world. What I was seeing that Kickstarter, Indiegogo, although they're helping amazing companies launch, you'll find that 56% of Kickstarter and 90% of Indiegogo campaigns fail. And that actually means that social enterprise companies actually have no chance of succeeding on those platforms, a very low chance of succeeding because these platforms are mass market focused. Um, there's limited curation happening and there's not much personalized support available to these entrepreneurs. And I maintain the belief that if you're a social entrepreneur that has a revolutionary idea to tackle some kind of social, environmental, economic problem in the world, you should get that platform and that space to bring that idea to life. You shouldn't be, you know, you shouldn't be deprived of the opportunity that many for-profit and commercial businesses have access to. So we, we decided to take a different approach. So we felt if we were going to solve this problem, the only way we would be able to do that is to give these entrepreneurs access to high-level support, high-level business expertise, and a lot of hand-holding. So we launched Up Effect in 2016. And the idea was that, yes, we're a tech technology company first and foremost, um, but we have that additional level of um, business support that we bring to these companies. So um, we vet based on three things before we decide to work with a company. So we look at founder credibility. So we look at what the domain expertise of the entrepreneur is and how long they've been working in the space and how have they gone about validating the idea. We then look at the financials. So how is this company going to sustain the impact that they're promising to have and the beneficiaries that they're looking to positively impact? And then three, we look at the impact. So 
a lot of companies will say they want to change the world. We really try and understand how they're going to change the world. So what data are they using to support the impact they will have? How are they measuring um, the lives that they're improving? Or how are they offsetting their carbon footprint? And how, how are they quantifying that? What materials are they using? What supply chain do they have in place? Um, what fair trade practices are they using? And then how are they actually lifting people out of, out of poverty? Because for me personally, and it's a belief that is echoed across the Up Effect team, is that Aid is not the answer to today's issues. Aid is actually contributing to the problem. The answer is that we help people stand on their own two, two feet. And the, the way we're going to do that is to give them access to employment, is give them access to skills, give them access to education, and also help them start businesses and scale those businesses so that they can reach an international market. And that's what crowdfunding enables. Crowdfunding is an exceptional tool to help these companies validate their ideas, reach an international audience of potential consumers and raise the capital that you need. So coming back to your original thing, you know, around females in tech, I think the bigger problem in the tech space is that most companies automatically, by default, they come up with an idea and the first thing they do is decide to go down the investment route. And I'm always curious to understand why, because if you can't find a way to build a revenue generating business, then why are you building a business? Right, you, you're going out there finding an investor, um, and and I'm not I'm not trying to put down investment. There's always a time to raise investment, but I just don't believe it's in the early stages of a company unless you're building something that requires a lot of capital for the R and D of a business. For instance, medical technologies they cannot sustain their growth without upfront investment and capital. So. But, but if you're if you're building a SaaS platform, for instance, you could build a very simple MVP, go out there, test it with your potential consumers and, you know, start generating revenue, start charging for it. So it's a concept that's quite ingrained within the tech industry. And that's what we're trying to change, because um, most social enterprises and most businesses, they want to be able to maintain control. And as soon as you bring on an investor, it's very hard to find investors that align with your mission, find investors that. Um, will have the same energy and same drive in terms of helping you, you know, achieve the ambitions of the company. And in the early stages of the company, you shouldn't really compromise on what you're trying to build. Really, you're, you're, it's a five to 10 year game if you're going to succeed in the startup space. So um, why not do it on your own terms? Why not first prove that there is a market? And that's, that's what crowdfunding really helps them do. So we're essentially helping um, early stage ideas go to market through a crowdfunding campaign. We provide personalized support. And that's why we, we're the only platform in the world that has a 100% success rate. And we, we hope that we're able to help these companies beyond their crowdfunding campaigns. And you know, whether the next stage is additional capital through investment or whether the next stage is simply helping them find um, a board of advisors or helping them employ people. But really, we want to be a part of the entire process of helping an idea go to market and have an impact in the world. There's so much wisdom packed in the things you just shared on a few different levels. One is I'm still waiting on four or six Kickstarter projects that I've backed in the past that never came to fruition. You know what I'm saying? Because you talked about that failure rate. And I wonder, like I just, I was just thinking this 100% success rate that you're speaking of, how much more of a meaningful platform could a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo be if they had some sort of, and maybe they can't, maybe it's not scalable at the level that Kickstarter is at, but a group of people that did vet the projects 
to make sure that the right projects are getting on on the platform to make sure that they have a much better success rate for their customers because like I said I've you know I've also received you know 10 or 15 that I've funded but I still have a handful that that I'll never see that I've dropped hundreds of dollars in to fund that will never come to fruition and so I love that 100% success rate. So you guys, I mean, one of the big differences is that you do vet these projects to make sure that they are actually going to be successful, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I think vetting is a is a core part of why we're able to succeed is we're trying to find the best entrepreneurs. Um, we're trying to find the best ideas. And and a lot of times companies approach us where they, they really don't know what they're doing. So we help them get to a stage where they are ready for a crowdfunding campaign with Upperfect. So we, we tend not to say no. Um, we tend to say, you know, um, try this and then come back to us. And then they go out there and implement the feedback and then they pass the vetting process. So yeah, I think, I think that's what's missing. And, and just going back to your point, 9% of Kickstarter campaigns have actually failed to deliver any reward to their backers. And I believe you've actually been burned in that process, which is very unfortunate. Yes. Yeah. That's, it's very unfortunate. And again, you know, it just means those companies have walked away and essentially pocketed that money. You know, that could be avoided if Kickstarter was to vet these companies and be involved in helping them succeed. But it's not in their interest because um, they make their money through their one-off successes that raise a million dollars plus. That's what keeps the business going. I mean, that's super wise and fantastic on y'all's end for sure. Can you share some of the projects that have been funded? Because I'm interested to hear, you know, you talk about this, this pretty strict, which I'm hundred percent in favor of this pretty strict vetting process that you guys engage in. What kinds of projects and companies have made it through? Like what sort of projects are they working on? Yeah. So it actually varies. So we've worked with companies that have launched renewable technology. We've worked with companies that have launched ethical fashion brands or environmentally friendly cards. Um, so it really um, it's across the spectrum, but one example would be a company called Little Difference, and they basically use recycled materials to create greeting cards, and those are hand-designed by the founders. And for every card sold, they plant a tree in Madagascar, and they work with the locals to ensure that they're actually being given um, a fair wage and being lifted out of poverty so that they're constantly, um, they're not in that vicious cycle of you know, the way most systems are working at the moment. So they're ensuring that they're being paid most times above minimum wage so that they can provide for their families and then um, they can continue to get more people involved in, in the employment cycle. I love that. I love that. So is this open to people outside of the UK, outside of Europe, or is it more of a European-based thing? No, absolutely. It's, um, so we're um, available in 25 countries um, but in terms of backing a campaign, so I think we're one of the first platforms in the world to be able to offer backers an opportunity to back in their own currency. A campaign based in the US, for instance, will be able to accept backing from um, UK backers, um, as well as um, French backers, as well as um, American backers, and they can all back in their own chosen currency. So multiple currency transactions happening in, in a single campaign. Shiza, why do you live this way? Why have you dedicated your life to these things? I know in the introduction part of what we did, the first few minutes, you talked about your faith. You talked about your father as an example as of an entrepreneur. You talked about a few different things. What is the number one reason 
And if it's something you already did, reiterate quickly that we don't spend a lot of time there. But I want to know, like, what I'm trying to do, trying to pull the story out of you and share it with the Let's Give a Damn family. I'm also trying to champion what you're doing. But I want to leave the Let's Give a Damn listeners and family with very tangible ways that they can, I see my number one responsibility as a podcast host and as you know a builder of this platform to take away people's excuses for not giving a damn. That's my number one, because so many of us spend our days making excuses. And I've seen that over and over and over again. And so I see my number one thing, I'll let other people tackle it from other ways, but my number one contribution is taking excuses away. And so that's why I have a variety of voices and different kinds of people, men, women, different faith backgrounds, no faith background, different industries altogether. So what would you say your number one reason for giving a damn in this way is? I guess I would say that I would like to be a part of the movement that's helping more companies become ethical and conscious. So I strongly, strongly believe that if we're going to solve the poverty crisis in today's world, it's by helping entrepreneurs get their businesses off the ground and helping them get a sustained source of income and helping them provide for their families. So I I would say that is my long-term goal. And that is what we're trying to achieve at Up Effect. And it's not just for the developed world, but it's for the developing world as well. So someone sitting in a rural community should have access to a technology like this so that they could um, scale up their businesses, sell their products to a worldwide audience and provide in a much grander way for, for their families and themselves as well as the local economy. So bettering society and um, changing how existing businesses operate and use profit um, to do a lot of bad in the world. I think changing that space is is the long-term goal for me personally. I'd love for you to share, spend a minute or two right now sharing some advice with anyone listening that is interested, maybe, I mean, just in general for anyone that wants to give a damn, but specifically for anyone listening, and I know there are people listening that are interested in this space, people that are interested in the tech space, but also in building companies that you know, the traditional way of building a company has been kind of this this two-pocket idea where it's like, on the one side, you know, make a lot of money and then we'll figure out how to give back, right? And make the world a better place. Kind of this new social enterprise space is, no, we're going to use everything that we're doing, the infrastructure, the products we make, the things that we do to have an impact on the world. And so anyone interested in the tech space and in the social enterprise space, what advice would you have for them to get going, just to get moving, uh, getting their idea to come to fruition as an actual product, as a company, whatever? So there's a number of things I would say um, that I feel like people, I I wish I knew um, when I started out in the early days, but I would say it's so important to accept failure. Everything that I've learned has been from the moments that I've failed, from the moments that I've fallen down. And it's okay to wel- welcome those moments because those are the ones that are really going to treat you, uh, teach you and build you up for the successes. So that's, that's one thing. Um, and the second thing I would say that if you are thinking of building a company, then the first thing you should do is validate whether there's a market for what you're doing. So before you start investing in hiring out a fancy office, building a great team, investing in equipment or even going into production, just first go out there and speak to your potential consumers and try and get a feel of what they want. Because a lot of times entrepreneurs have this vision and this idea that this is what I think people want because I I want this, right? But when you go out there and speak to people, you realize there's not that many people that share that same 
um, thought process. And it may be that, you know, maybe you're close to what they're thinking, but not quite right there. So when, when you speak to your potential consumers, they will tell you all kinds of things. They will tell you, um, these are the specific things that I'm looking for in a product. If you can build this for me, and then another 10 people back that person up, um, you've got a great business right there. So I, I would say validation is very important. And three, I would say really try and figure out how your business will survive without external investment, without public funding, without grants or donations. Really try and build a sustainable business model because you will be able to stand on your own two feet and never depend on any other resource or any other body to provide for your company. The business will thrive on its own if it's able to generate um, its own capital. So just to recap, those are all amazing. So accept failure, kind of expect that it's coming and deal with it. Uh, Validate your idea. In other words, like build your MVP and see how your potential clients react to it. And then try to do it without investment, I guess as long as you can, but try to do it period without investment. Because then like, yeah, you're building something that people want and will pay for. Um, instead of some of the biggest companies in the world that still have not made a dime, right? <laughs> we can name them and they've never, they've never been profitable, but they have the big offices and the big parties and the big everything, but they're not actually a profitable company, right? That to me is not attractive at all uh, because you're always tied to those that are paying the bills, right? You're tied to what they want to do, what they want to champion, how they want to go about things. And you, because of the way you're building your business and because of the way that you're encouraging others to build their businesses, they have free reign. If they can manage to build a, a, you know, a business this way, they have free reign to do, to accomplish their vision, to carry out their vision instead of, you know, the board or the investors, so on and so forth. I love that. Exactly. And just what you said, build something that people want. So Y Combinator really champions that statement. And um, I really, really believe in that. When you build something, make sure it's what people want, not what you want, but what the market wants. Yeah, that's great. I'm a two or three time uh, failure to get into Y Combinator, so but I'm going to keep trying because I, I really love, <laughs> I really love what they offer. And um, yeah, they're doing amazing work. Yeah, they're doing incredible work for companies. Some of the best products and companies that you and I, you know, use and ha- have partaken in, you know, have come out of there. It's a really, really great program. I have a a big hypothetical question for you. Well, part of it's hypothetical, part of it's not. The non-hypothetical part of this question is that someday you are going to die, right? As a human, you and I have a limited amount of time on this earth. Um, the hypothetical part is that at the end of your life, hopefully you live a long and you know prosperous and life-giving life to so many other people. On that day that you die, the hypothetical part is that I am going to give your eulogy all of the business owners that you have helped, your family, your friends, everybody's packed into this humongous room to honor and mourn your amazing life, right? And, and again, the hypothetical part is that I've been chosen to give you eulogy. What do you hope on that day, what do you hope that I will speak over your life and about your life in front of the people that know you the best and the people that you've helped the most? What are some of the things that you hope that I will communicate about your life and legacy on that day? Gosh, I've, I've never thought of that. <laughs> never thought about that scenario. Um, someone that made a difference. I know it sounds like a cliche, but I truly believe that. That you know, that's how I want to live my life, and I hope that's how people remember me. That everything that I did on a day-to-day basis was to positively improve the environment. Was to positively improve 
individual lives and to improve the economy for so many people that don't have access to the resources so many of us do have access to in the developed world. So I really hope I'm able to make a small dent in that movement in that and in that space. And um, I'm able to change some, at least at least a few people's lives and at least a, a bit of the environment um, given today's um, scenario with climate change. I, I hope that I'm able to make a positive contribution to that movement. That's an amazing legacy. And, you know, you mentioned that it's kind of cliche to say, I want, I just want to make a difference. But the reality is, you know, as cliche as it sounds, that is something that most people will never, ever accomplish. The vast majority of humans throughout history and today spend their lives more or less coasting, right? Just trying to get through the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year, make enough money to get by just to coast. And lots of people will put up a, you know, a nice Instagram post and a nice Facebook post and this and that about making a difference, but very few, I think, ever really accomplish making that small dent that you just talked about. And so as cliche as it sounds, I join you in that, in that I just want to make a difference. I want to leave the world better than when I found it. I think it's also important to know that it's, it's not an overnight thing that any one of us can achieve. It yeah, can take our yeah. whole lifetime. It really can. And, and, and that's why I, when every entrepreneur that I speak to, I, I, the first thing I say to them is, have you considered that this could you know, be your life for the next 10 to 20 years, because it, it takes such a long time to have an impact. And I'm, I'm not naive in the sense that I, I, I think this will happen in the next, you know, next year or next two years. I do believe it will take my entire life, but I, I hope I'm able to get there at the, at the end of that. Yeah, there's no, no such thing as an overnight success. And I, I love that you're encouraging people to be in it for the long haul. And I think that's why people give up. So many people have a desire to make a difference. We just talked about that. But the first, second, or third hurdle they run into, they quit because it's just it's just too damn hard. And they don't know that they have to get past hurdle 87 or 143 before they actually start seeing success, any measure of success in that thing they're trying to make a difference in. So yeah, fantastic advice. That's why 90% of startups fail. It's because people give up. <laughs> It's so easy to give up We're in that stage. There's so much happening. There's so many different fires that you're tackling and it's, it, it seems impossible. So I think that's another thing, like finding the resilience and tenacity to move forward and get past those hurdles and look at the, at the big picture that it will take many years to get there, but it's through consistency and persistence that you will eventually achieve those goals. It's fantastic. Uh, Shiza, as we wrap up here, give me some you know websites and social media links. Where do you want people to go check out for you or for Up Effect after this conversation is over? Yeah, so people can reach um, us or me um, through our Instagram page. So it's Up Effect um, or through our website. So theupeffect.com. And um, you can also reach me personally um, through Twitter at Shiza Ahmed. So I'd love to speak to you. I'd love to know what you guys are working on and how um, you're working on having an impact in the world. And if I can help in any way, please do let me know. Well, thank you so much for joining me and us today. I'm, I'm inspired by you. I'm moved by your story and what you're trying to accomplish and accomplishing. And I hope we can keep in touch and talk again about these things because you're just doing amazing work. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. 
Thank you, Nick. And thank you so much for um, running this podcast and shining a light on the great things people are working on in the world. I think it's really important to have a central space for that. So thank you to you too. My pleasure. Talk to you soon. Speak soon. Bye. Friends, thanks so much for joining Shiza and me today. What an amazing human. Before we wrap up, a quick reminder that you have a couple days left to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. On 2-8, February 8th, I'll choose a reviewer and send them a Let's Give a Damn tee. I'm going to randomly choose one of you and send you a Let's Give a Damn t-shirt. So go leave a review ASAP. You can find links, resources, and show notes for this conversation and all the others. Plus, you can find other ways to join in on what we're doing by going right now to shownotes.letsgiveadam.com. Thank you so much for joining me week after week to listen to these stories and learn from these amazing humans. I hope you'll continue to join me and I hope you'll tell at least one person this week about this conversation. I love when more people join what we're doing, the more, the merrier. I love you all. Until next time, keep giving so many dams, my friends. Bye. Bye.